Glad everybody's here tonight, and uh, if you don't know me yet, my name is Travis Sharp. Uh, my wife, April, and daughter, Sarah, is over there, and I am with Unsheltered International, and we've been members at Temple since 2009, and it's my joy tonight to be able to give Pastor Malcolm uh, uh, maybe some much-needed rest, or uh, maybe he's gone deer hunting. Heck, I don't know, uh, but uh, all I know is uh, he asked me if I could fill in for him, and I'm excited every time I get to do that. It's an honor. So I want you to take your Bible tonight and uh, go to Matthew 26. You're probably already there because you saw the outline. So Matthew 26, and we're going to read verses 36 down through 46, and we're going to talk tonight about surrendering our lives to God, surrendering our lives to God. I want to also welcome everybody at Fairview, and thank you for for being with us. So let's look, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch With me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Somebody say amen right there. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, Except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. That verse will be important later. Into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And thank you for these verses. Lord, these are holy, holy, holy verses. Special verses. Definitely important verses. And I pray you bless us tonight. 
as we use them and expound on them and talk about this subject of surrender. We love you. I pray you'd uh, bless our preacher. Uh, Bless me tonight as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Surrendering is letting go of our individual agendas. In the context that we're going to talk about surrendering tonight, it is literally allowing God's will to prevail in our life. Allowing God's desires and God's dreams and God's choices for us to prevail over and above our own choices, our own will, our own desire. Surrendering for the Christian is taking all of your plans, hopes, dreams, and giving them to God. Something else I want to uh, say here, introduction-wise, is that surrendering is usually not a one-time thing. You don't see, it seems like I don't see this happen as much in churches nowadays, but, but there is such a thing as someone surrendering to the ministry. Surrendering to the call to preach. Used to a lot of times, you would, uh, you would see God dealing with somebody and they would come forward and, and they might tell the pastor, I don't know what God exactly wants out of me, but I know he wants more than, than what I'm doing now and I'm just surrendering my whole life to God. I think we need to see a whole lot more of that, don't you? And that aspect, in that regard, surrendering to God is kind of something that that you do one time. However, don't ever think that you'll just come to God and and give something up or surrender or say, God, I'm going to serve you. And then it's always going to be easy to accomplish. The reason it's not, we actually read a verse that kind of explains it, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I found in my life that although I did that back in 1995 when I surrendered to preach, I've had to re-surrender to be a preacher plenty of times over the last uh, however many years that's been now. Because my own will gets in the way sometimes. To surrender in war might mean to give way to someone who wishes us harm or who wants to conquer us for maybe wrong purposes. And a lot of people, especially us Americans, we sometimes view surrendering as only a negative thing or only 
a last resort or even something we would never think about doing. But to surrender our life to God is to give way to someone who loves us and has our best interest at heart and desires to be the Lord of every aspect of our life. Tonight I want you to think about surrendering in a much different light. We're told in the scriptures a lot about this. For example, we're told to surrender our minds. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now that's not possible unless we surrender our mind to God and allow His mind to rule in us. We're told to surrender our bodies. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice that is still alive, still operating, still moving, but yet on an altar of sacrifice, not doing all the things it wants to do. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. We're told in the scripture also to surrender our sin to God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, bringing the filthiness of our flesh and mind and spirit and laying it down before God and relinquishing control is surrendering our sin. We're told in the scripture to surrender our grudges. Now this one was working on me this morning when I was putting it together. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so when, when the Christian holds a grudge because someone hurt us, And we're bitter because of that grudge. What we're telling the world and the people we gossip to and clamor to is we're telling them, I will not surrender that part of my life to God. That's literally what's happening. And the sad thing is there's a lot of bowed up Christians sitting in churches all over the land tonight and Sunday after Sunday and after Sunday. 
I knew that one would go over like a pregnant pole vaulter. Say amen. That's, that's hard to hear. But it's extremely accurate. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyway, we're told in the scripture to surrender our dreams. Our very dreams. Think about this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth, or after that, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That verse is saying, take your aspirations, take your dreams, and allow God to sift them through his will. I'll give you a side note, a gracious side note. That doesn't always mean that our dreams go away. It doesn't always mean God vetoes them. But you listen to me really good, really good right here. If God does not have veto power or permission, you might say, in every area of our life, We have not given our life to God. Amen? We're told in the scripture to surrender our very lives. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Colossians 3.3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. Christ in God. And we could put a whole bunch more aspects of our life that God wants us to surrender, but but you get the message. God's desire is that we are like putty in His hands. Or, to say it biblically, we are like clay in His hands. He wants to mold us. He wants to make us. He wants to have full permission from us to do with us as He will. And another side note, if we don't give God that grace in our life, number one, He might just haul off and do it anyway. And it'll hurt a lot more if he does that. Or number two, he may well look over us and choose someone else to bless in the way he was gonna bless us. Tonight, this is not necessarily a message to warn us that, oh, if you don't, then God... This this may be the way I want it to be received. It is a lesson... To, to warn us not to miss out on what God has for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, 
what God has for me is light years better than anything I could think up, dream up, Google up, or, 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 or whatever. You say, well, couldn't you make more money if you wasn't a preacher in the ministry? I don't know, maybe, but I doubt it. Why do you doubt it? Well, because I don't think I'd have the blessings of God on my life like they are right now. Or I'll say it another way. I'd be afraid to spend that money if I made it out of the will of God. Anyway, every Christian here, every one of us can surrender our lives to God. This is something we can do. Maybe you've been saved 50 years, or maybe you've been saved 50 days. Does not matter. We can all give ourselves wholly over to God. We can do that by following the the principles, or maybe you could call these the aspects of surrendering that are in these verses. Let me just go through these. Number one, I want you to see the, the, the place of a surrendered life. The place of a surrendered life. The Bible says in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place. Unto a place called Gethsemane. I want you to know that this was a special place. And this was also a significant place. Number one there, it was a special place. Number two, it was a significant place. It was special because of its shade. And it was special also because of its solitude. This place called Gethsemane was at the base of the Mount of Olives. And most uh, historians and most Bible writers and, or, or Bible commentators, uh, people who write about the Bible, agree that Gethsemane was a special place within the Mount of Olives at the base, and it was a garden area where, uh, where groves of olive trees grew. It was a vineyard, if you will, for olives. And those olive trees were very large trees, and and those trees uh, by nature would produce a good amount of shade. It was not uncommon for someone to rest in a garden like this. It was not uncommon for someone to kind of hide or, or go alone in a garden like this. But it definitely produced a certain amount of shade in this place. And I thought about that and how it was a special place and how it produced the shade. And I thought about my place with my God. And how that the sun so to speak, shines awful hot and awful bright in this world. The sun of this world shines on us with sinfulness. 
It shines on us with distractions. It shines on us with everything you can imagine coming at us at all hours of the day and night. And the simple fact is that the child of God needs some shade in this world. Can I get an amen? Psalm 91.1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This is, is special because Jesus knew something about the significance of a special place. So many times in his three and a half years of earthly ministry, would he retreat? He would remove himself from the crowds and even remove himself from the disciples and remove himself from the distractions. And he would find a resting place. And the surrendered child of God does the same thing. In our devotion time, in the morning or evening or whenever yours may be, in that quiet time, what, what's happening is we are placing ourselves in the shade or the shadow or under the wings of our almighty Father. And He's shielding those distractions for a while. He's shielding those cares for a while. He's shielding the world for a while. And I just got to testify, if I didn't have that shade in my life on a daily basis, oh my goodness, this world would probably devour me quickly. And I would say, for most of us it would. Gethsemane, this place was a garden. The word Gethsemane literally means oil press. It means olive press. It's where they would take the olives and run them through a press and literally smash them uh, to, to, get the, to extract the, the, the juice from them or the oil from the olives. And the priest would use that in the temple service. And that's significant that Jesus went to this place where pressing happened right before his death. This is exactly right before the last thing that happens before he's arrested and betrayed by Judas. Here's what I want you to see. Here in this garden, near this olive press, Jesus put himself into agony. We'll get to the prayer in a minute, how he agonized in prayer. But here I want you to know, he put himself into agony before his enemies gave him any trouble that night. He did this, I believe, to show that he was giving his life as a free will offering. No one forced his life from him. John 10 and verse 18 tells us that he freely laid it down. Let me draw a correlation. Today, I believe that God is looking for some Christians who will offer themselves to him before he has to get their attention. 
How many of you know that God does have means to get our attention? Wouldn't it be great if we would come to God and say, God, here I am. Send me. Or God, here I am. Search me. Or whatever it may be. Before God had to come to our life with conviction and chastisement and all of those things. How many problems could be avoided? How many, how many side roads could be avoided? How many bumps along the way could be avoided if we would come to God first and say, here I am, do with me what you will. You see, if we have a place we retreat to regularly to be alone with God, the chances of us coming to a place of surrender in our life is much greater. Did you get that? You say, well, preacher, are you talking about having a a physical place in your life where you go every day and, and have devotions? Or are you talking about coming to some place in your life? And my answer is yes. Yes, both. Most people don't just live like hell day in and day out and then one day decide, oh, I'm going to surrender my life to God. That's the next step. That's usually not how it happens. But I'll tell you how it usually does happen. The Christian that's, that's praying, the Christian that's reading, the Christian that's coming to God and saying, Lord, here I am. If you need anything out of me, here I am. Lord, if there's anything in my life, here I am. Lord, I want you to control this part of me and that part of me. Here I am. Those are the ones that when God has a chore, or God has a task, or God has an assignment, or God has whatever God might have, God says, hmm, let me put that on her heart. Let me put that on his heart. Why does God work like that? Because God knows you're probably going to say, okay. Or let me put it another way. If you're hard-hearted and hard-headed when it comes to things of God, why should God waste his time trying to accomplish his purposes through you? If you were God, wouldn't you find somebody? Now, the cool thing is, God's a master at taking people who don't care nothing about him and changing their life in a moment. Amen. The Bible's full of those instances. What I'm talking about tonight is after that change. After that. After God saves you. Your daily walk with God. If you're the hard-headed kind... And God has to uh, take you through a hundred hoops before God can get something out of you. God might just pass you over for a blessing that was intended for you but landed on somebody else. So if we have a place in our life where we meet God regularly, then it's likely we're going to come to that place in our life where God opens doors we never thought would open. Do you remember Elijah in the Old Testament? 
In 1 Kings, uh, Elijah prophesied that it would not rain for three years. And right after that, God told him to go over to the brook called Cherith. And he said that the ravens will feed thee there. Matter of fact, 1 Kings 17, 4, it says, And it shall be that uh, thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. In that specific place. And what did Elijah do? He went there to that particular place. And God provided everything Elijah needed. Nobody Venmoed him no money. Nobody uh, went. He didn't go to the food bank. God commanded ravens to bring him food. And he drank from the brook. And when the brook dried up because of the famine, God said, I tell you what, now go over to this uh, a city called Zarephath and there's going to be a widow woman there and she's going to help you out. Yeah. Isn't that an odd instruction? He just did what God said to do. And he went there and he found her and said, feed me. And she did. And God blessed her because she blessed him. And they were both in the place God wanted them to be. Let me ask you this. What place are you in tonight? Is it a place of surrender? Is it a place of regularly coming to God and saying, God, here I am. Let me give you the second aspect of a surrendered life not only the place of a surrendered life but i want you to see the prayer of a surrendered life the prayer of a surrendered life a a surrendered life is without a doubt a life built on prayer sd gordon said You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. I really like that. Dr. David Sampson, a friend of mine who wrote a book on prayer, he said prayer is spiritual surrender to the Lord's will in humble obedience of His Word. He went on to say, prayer places us before the throne room of God where we acknowledge our total dependence upon Him. And that's definitely what prayer should do in our life. Jesus was praying in these verses in this garden. This was, first of all, an agonizing prayer. The Bible actually says uh, about this time... That his prayer was, as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, can you imagine praying until the the, the blood vessels, maybe in your eyes, burst the agony of his prayer? Why, Why was he agonizing? Because he was struggling in prayer with humanity. Now, some people think he was struggling in in prayer with his own humanity, but I think the struggle in this prayer was with our humanity. 
the lostness of humanity. Remember, he was getting ready to face judgment on a Roman cross. Not because he had sinned. Not because the wages of sin was death and he was guilty of sin. But because the wages of sin was death and he was getting ready to be the sacrifice once and for all, paying for your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world. And as he prayed, he agonized in prayer over our broken humanity. And much like Jesus did in the garden, if we're going to surrender our lives to God and be in his service, we have to ask the question, how long has it been since we agonized in prayer over someone else? The broken the hurting, the hungry, the homeless, the cold, the lost, the dying, the sick, the poor. When was the last time that, 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 that our prayer was, was agonizing and difficult because we were wrestling on behalf of someone else? That's exactly what Jesus was doing here. Matthew 17, 21. The disciples had come to Jesus with a big problem. Demons they could not cast out. And Jesus said, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Luke 6 and verse 12 says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is our greatest example of a servant. He's our greatest example of a a sacrifice. He's our greatest example of someone fully surrendered unto the Heavenly Father. Is He not? He was fully God. He was fully man. And he prayed many times all night long. That amazes me. I I don't know how that happens. I I don't know. I you know, like I I get bored halfway through a watch night service. I'm like, is it time to eat the chili yet? And, and here we got Jesus. On many occasions, praying the entire night. Here's what I want to ask you. If Jesus needed to pray so much, what in the world do we need? (laughs) What in the world do we need? I think we need to pray much too. So this was an agonizing prayer. This was an an affectionate prayer. Notice as he's praying, he prays in verse 39. He says, oh, my father, oh, my father. He prays to his father. Even in his agony, he loved his father. And you know what? I've seen people in this very church. Some of you are here tonight. And you have endured some of the greatest tragedy or greatest loss 
And instead of blaming God and shaking your fist at God, you fell on your face and you cried out, Oh, Father in heaven. There's something special about a prayer relationship with God. When you know that if he wanted to, he could have snapped his fingers and changed it. But for whatever reason, he knew best. And you go to your father affectionately in prayer and trust him. That's powerful. Only God can give a person the ability to go through the fire and still have great love. Mark it down, only God does that. This was also an answered prayer. As he's praying, I love this. He, he, he prays and he, and he says, he says in verse 39, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup was the cup of bitterness. The cup of sin they were fixing to drink on the cross. And he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Not, I don't think that means if it's possible, let let me get out of being the savior of the world. I think he was saying, if it's possible to be the savior of the world any other way but this way. Of course, we know Isaiah tells us his face was set as a flint toward the cross. But you have to remember, Jesus was God and man. And he agonized. And he surrendered. That's exactly what's happening here. Nevertheless, thy will be done. God ever put something on your heart and you just didn't want it there? (laughs) He has for me. A couple years ago, God said, Travis, build a village. And I said, no thanks. You can ask. There's people right here in this room. You can ask. And, you know, people don't believe me, but I tell them, This project we're doing with the it ain't my idea. Believe it if you want to, but God said, do this. And I fought against that for uh, for months. And I had to come to a place in my life where I said, okay, God, I'll do that. And you know what? Here's a side note. When you surrender your will to God's will, you're probably going to suffer some ridicule. You're probably not going to have all the details about whatever it is. You're probably going to be misunderstood. You're probably going to be misjudged. You're probably going to be uh, all those things. You're probably going to be attacked. You're probably going to, and the list can go on and on and on. I don't have enough fingers and toes. Why do you say that? Well, because Jesus was. Remember, one of his his 12 is fixing to kiss him with a kiss of betrayal. I heard about a preacher one time. He preached a sermon about Judas and the title was uh, something like the man that kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. 
If Jesus was misunderstood and abused and betrayed, you will be too when you follow God's will. So get ready for it. But there's more about that in the next point. The cool thing, let me get back to the cool thing. This was an answered prayer. Check this out. You, you know, you might look at this and say, well, he asked God to take, take this away, but God didn't. But look what God did do. Verse 43. Jesus is praying a couple times in verse 43. Or, or, or uh, let's see, one of these verses... Oh, oh, it's in Luke, duh. Luke twenty two forty three. the same account in a different gospel. I can't read my own type. Luke twenty two forty three says, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Did God take the pain away? No. But God dispatched an angel from heaven to giving grace. Does God always say yes to, to, to our desire? No. But will he always send grace? Yes. The prayer of a surrendered life. Prayer, listen, prayer is the offering up not only of our desires to God, but also of our resignations to God. Some of us are guilty. I'm guilty a lot of times about just going to God and asking for stuff. That's just one part of prayer. Another part of prayer is going to God and giving up stuff. I need to quit. I'm getting under conviction. That ain't supposed to happen. It's like there's a wall right here that's all hitting me. Let me give you the third aspect of, of, of a surrendered life. I want you to see the price. The price of a surrendered life. So, so, so Jesus is praying. He surrenders. He says, nevertheless, thy will be done. What was the price? That, I, I got to think about that today. What was the price for, for surrendering? Well, for Jesus, it was betrayal. It was suffering and death. The price, what he got, For surrendering to his father's will was placing himself into the hands of those who wished to harm him. Look at it. Verse 45. The Bible says, And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. That's what Judas did. He betrayed Jesus and placed him into the hands of sinners. But check this out. Jesus went to the garden knowing exactly what was fixing to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. He knew Judas was on the way. He knew they had swords and staves. He knew they had the lanterns. He knew there was an angry mob. And he went anyway. He placed himself into the hands of these sinners. But check this out. Before he went into the hands of sinners, he had placed himself into the hands of God. Well, how did he do that? By surrendering to God's will. 
Now stay with me here. Stay with me. This, I'm telling you, this helped me today. Some people are already in the hands of sinners. But they've never placed themselves in the hand of God. Now if you live in this world, stuff's going to happen. Somebody's going to attack you somehow. Somebody's going to betray you. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to be out for your harm, not your good. If you're hanging out there all on your own when that happens, because you've been bowing up and telling God no about a bunch of stuff, then God will probably allow that to be part of your chastisement. Part of that pruning. Part of that trying to get you back right process. You following me? But if you go into that season of your life, like Jesus went into into, uh, uh, Judas' betrayal, if you go into that fully surrendered, you're in the hands of God already. What's that mean? Does it mean it won't hurt? Oh, no. Oh, no. But it means God's got you. God has got you. You see, the surrendered Christian pays a price, but he receives grace enough to ignore the cost. And I put the word ignore there. I don't really like the word ignore, but to be honest with you, I was on a time crunch today and couldn't think of a better way to say that. Maybe we could say he receives grace enough to endure the cost or to make it through the cost. But let there be no doubt, Jesus paid the price despite what it cost him. Paul, the apostle, paid the price despite what it cost him. Look what he said in Galatians 3, 8. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul says, Hey, I suffered the loss of everything I had going for me. He says, But that's okay. That's all right. How could he have that attitude? Because on a regular basis, he was on his face in prayer to God, saying, oh God, help me here. I give my life to you. I guess maybe it's the difference between our world being turned upside down and there's no anchor. And we're just gone with the whirlwind or our our world being turned upside down and the anchor holds. And I want to tell you something. That's a big difference. Amen? Amen. Maybe it's the difference between a tornado coming down your street and you're safe underground. Or you're in your easy chair and you're single wide. That's a big difference. Amen? Amen? Every time James Spann comes on TV, I'm like, April, get the dogs, let's run. (laughs) 
You, you, you see what I'm saying? That tornado shelter, that's like the will of God. That's like the surrendered place. Kicking back in the, in the single wide, that's like being left out there on your own. Amen. <laughs> I'm thinking about a joke, but if you want to hear it, see me after church. I don't know if I should say it on that live TV thing. I don't need to be in trouble with preacher, amen. I got a lot of other stuff in my life. I need him on my side, not, not <laughs> moving on. Let me give you the last one. I want you to see the peace of a surrendered life. The peace. The peace. Jesus said this. You know, he comes to those disciples three times. Uh, uh, Peter, James, and John is who he took a little further, right? M- many people believe that the others stayed at the entryway to the garden because their faith wasn't at, at the right level to go a little further. But even the three amigos, even the three best ones, they just fell asleep. They couldn't hang. Jesus comes back to him. He's like, what? Couldn't you, couldn't you help me out here? Couldn't you watch and pray for an hour? Maybe he was thinking, the other day I prayed all night long up in, the, up in that mountain and you can't even pray for me for an hour. I don't, I don't know exactly what he's thinking, but that's what he said. Yeah. And he comes back and the third time they're sleeping again. And he just tells them, sleep on now and take your rest. Now hold on to that thought. That's going to be significant in a second. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Two things I want you to know here. Number one, a surrendered life brings the peace of God. A surrendered life brings the peace of God. Or another way to say that, you cannot fight against God and also have peace. It don't work like that. That's not how God has set this thing up. Why does a surrendered life bring the peace of God? Here's why. Because the outcome of whatever the thing is, is different. The outcome is different. You see, Christ, His betrayal, it was an avenue, but, but it was not the outcome. Christ's suffering was an avenue, but not the outcome. His death was an avenue He had to walk through or walk down, but it was not the outcome. What was the outcome of all that? Resurrection power. Seated on the right hand of God, soon coming uh, king of glory to get his church and take us home. The outcome is different for the surrendered Christian. Notice something else. Not only does a surrendered life bring the peace of God, but the peace of God brings peace with others. Romans 12, 18 tells us, if it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Why does, why does peace with God or the peace of God, 
in our life bring peace with others because the outlook is different. See, when you have the peace of God, the outcome of everything you go through is much different. And when you have the peace of God, the outlook of everything you go through is much different. The main thing an unsurrendered person sees is all the injustices done to them. Stay with me. The main thing a surrendered person sees is all the injustices done to Christ. The outlook is different. If you don't have and if I don't have a a, a peace with God, I cannot have peace with anybody else. I don't know that I have ever in all my counseling and all my... I don't know if I've ever just found somebody that had a, 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 a big quarrel and a grudge and all this with somebody else in the church and their life was surrendered to God. You see what I'm saying? It's always a, a, a disaster. But I have known people and other people have just absolutely treated them like dogs. But they... They were surrendered to God. Man, they was right with God, had the peace of God. And and even though they were being treated so badly, they were like, they treated Jesus a lot worse than this. I love them anyway. I pray for them anyway. Man, if I get a chance to bless them, I'll bless them anyway. Almost sounds kind of biblical, doesn't it? Maybe you've been racking your brain. Why? I just don't know why I'm having all these relationship troubles. I just don't know why my wife, I just don't know why my husband. Have you ever stopped for five seconds to consider? It may not be them. It might be you. If you can't honestly look at look to God and look at yourself and do a self-examination and say honestly before God, my heart's right with God and I've surrendered every known thing in my life to God that I can, then you have no right to look at the faults in someone else. You better be doing business with yourself and your God. And here's what's going to happen. When you get that peace between you and God, that... I promise you, will change whoever you got beef with. They probably ain't going to change. They probably keep on being crazy. But your outlook is going to be so different. Amen? Amen. Now look, I'm not saying that there's not times to, when there's real injustices that need to be addressed, I'm not saying that there's never a time to protest. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. We live in a culture where uh, people will protest anything at the drop of a hat and they'll drop the hat. If you and I as children of God are ready to protest before we're ready to pray, there ain't no prayer we're right with God. I'm just saying. It ain't ain't happening. 
And that goes for every other. You know, if we're going to gossip before we pray, it just, the problem ain't them, it's us. What's the cure? Surrendering our life to God. Paul, at the end of his, his life, he gave a warning to the young Timothy. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The, the Lord reward him according to his works. That's all we have recorded. And Alexander the, the coppersmith, he did Paul much evil. Paul didn't talk about it much. Why? He was surrendered unto God. He said, hey, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth, there's laying up a crown for me. He was probably more worried about thinking about that crown than he was his critics. He was probably more worried about finishing his course those last few days than he was his critics. But what if he hadn't have been a surrendered man of God? There might be a whole chapter in the Bible about how bad Alexander the coppersmith was. What I'm saying is this. When we give our life to God in full surrender, it's a game changer. It changes everything. Let me show you one other thing and we'll pray. You remember Matthew 8? I think Matthew 8 is one of the, uh, the verses, verse 26. I don't, did y'all get that? I don't know if you put that up there or not, but anyway... That's where Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storms were coming and and the disciples run down and they're like, Master, wake up! We're going to perish! They were freaking out, right? And what did Jesus do? He woke up. He's like, I can just imagine, golly, y'all. Walks out there. Peace be still. And he fixes it, right? Although he woke up when they needed him, they would not wake up when he needed them. Now here it is. He didn't beat them. He didn't berate them. He said, sleep on now. Take your rest. I think he was saying you're going to need it. We're in for a long haul. Y'all are fixing to run and the sheep are going to be scattered. Take your rest. Boy, isn't that gracious? He had all right to be like, look, you forgetting about the storm? Y'all jokers woke me up. I helped you out. But he was fully surrendered. Sleep on now, guys. Take care of yourself. How about that person been doing you wrong? You going to keep fighting them, fighting back? Or are you going to let the grace of God, because you give your life to Jesus day in and day out on a surrender basis, let you just say, hey, sleep on now. Scream on. Speak on. Rage on. Take your rest. You're in for a long haul. That's what peace does. That's what surrender does. And I'll tell you something that my mama used to tell me. She's probably watching. Hi, Mom, if you are. I can remember when I was a little bitty boy. 
Uh, I don't know how old I was. Mama giving me a bath age. 17, 18, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Little bitty boy. And one thing I remember my mom telling me, and we didn't even go to church or nothing back then. Mama wasn't saved. And one day, while, while she was giving me a bath, I'm playing in there, and she says, uh, for some reason I asked her about praying. And I said, Mama, can God hear me anywhere if I pray anywhere? She said, oh, anywhere. I said, even in the bathtub? Even in the bathtub. And then on another occasion, we was having a little mama-son talking, and I had brought home a bad report card. (laughs) And the worst was there was a U for unsatisfactory under conduct. And there was a U for unsatisfactory under, like, uh, effort or whatever, you know, how hard you tried. And she didn't say nothing about all them D's and F's. She focused on the conduct and the effort part. And I remember my mama saying this to me. She said, if you'll just try your best and not, you know, act dumb, Try your hardest. Give it your best effort. She said, them grades will take care of themselves. She said, if, it's, it, she said, if you get an A plus in the, in the effort and the conduct, I don't care if all them are Fs. She said, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. Really? <laughs> so, so I was like, man, that's a deal. And, and, and I started putting forth some effort. And brought them F's up to D, strong D's. She was okay. You know, God's a lot like that. If we'll give our heart to Him and give our life to Him every day, He's going to take care of the grades. Amen? But when we ain't putting forth that effort, when we're not surrendering, it's all the issue with God. 